Hello, and welcome back to Astronomy News with the Cosmic Companion. This week, we welcome Dr. Izat Hadari to the show. He is a professor of geoscience at Jackson State University. We will discuss his work showing evidence of a possible mega-flood on Mars in the ancient solar system. But first, we look at a new study using a revolutionary detector examining neutrinos from the sun, revealing new details of nuclear reactions at the core of our parent star. Smaller stars like our sun produce almost all their energy through proton-proton reactions at their core. However, Around 1% of the energy of our sun is produced by the carbon-nitrogen-oxygen reactions called the CNO process. For the first time, researchers at the Borzino detector in Italy have seen a form of neutrino, a type of subatomic particle, produced by CNO reactions in the sun. This discovery could help us learn more about our parent star, as well as massive stars throughout the cosmos. A large sunspot slid across the face of the sun on Thanksgiving Day. Astronomers first detected the feature while it was still on the other side of the sun. This was accomplished through a technique called helioseismology, where sound waves within the sun are measured, revealing details in the movements of gases beneath the surface of our parent star. Sunspots are often associated with solar storms, which could wreak havoc with communication systems here on Earth. The sunspot, which recently became visible from Earth, poses no danger to our planet, but it made an interesting view for solar astronomers. In just a few weeks, skygazers on Earth will be treated to a great conjunction of the planets Jupiter and Saturn. On December 21st, 2020, the two largest planets in our solar system will appear just one-tenth of a degree apart, or roughly one-fifth the diameter of a full moon. This is the closest visible conjunction of the planets seen since the year 1226, when the empire of Genghis Khan reached its end and the legend of Robin Hood began to take shape. Although these two planetary giants of the solar system come together once every two decades or so, this will be the closest the two worlds will come to each other until March 15th, 2080. Subscribe to this channel and keep checking back every week as we keep you updated on this once-in-a-lifetime event. Next up, we talk to Dr. Isat Hadari of Jackson State University about his work uncovering watery secrets of the Martian past. 
You're listening to Astronomy News with the Cosmic Companion, a podcast focused on making science accessible to everyone, including weekly interviews with groundbreaking scientists. We depend on support from fans like you, helping us bring science news and education directly to listeners around the globe. Visit us at thecosmiccompanion.net forward slash support for information on subscriptions and other ways you can help support this program. Subscriptions start at just 99 cents a month. Show your love of astronomy and space exploration by visiting thecosmiccompanion.net forward slash support today. This week on Astronomy News with the Cosmic Companion, we are happy to be joined by Dr. Izat Hidari. He is a geologist at Jackson State University who has done some fascinating work finding evidence for a mega flood on ancient Mars. Welcome to the show, Izat. Thank you. Glad to be here. Great. So tell us um, what constitutes a mega flood and what sort of evidence do we have that one of these happened on Mars? Well, um, mega flood is usually referred to these very, very large floods, which are, have enormous amount of uh, water um, goes through them. Um, they occur both on Earth as well as on Mars. Um, the last ones that occur on Earth were during the deglaciation, during what we refer to Earth as the Ice Ages. That ended about two million years ago. And uh, when the ice melted on Earth, we had these huge floods that some of them delivered millions and millions of gallons of water uh, from Earth to Pacific Ocean, to Gulf of Mexico, and so on. And um, they were capable of um, rolling pieces of rock the size of a you know, two-story building. They were that, that big of a flood. And the, the best known one is called the Missoula Lake Flood, which was... Um, um, originated from in Lake Missoula in Montana. And when that flood occurred, flood came from Montana, went through the state of Washington and went all the way to Pacific Ocean. And, uh, and, and there, is a, uh, there is a location in, uh, in Washington state called the Scabland. And that flood is basically removed all the vegetation, everything that occurred um, in that area. So that is what we generally refer to as a mega flood. These are really, really large floods, which are sometimes very deep. I mean, you have 100, 200 feet of water going through an area uh, and have in order of, let's say, 10 million gallons of water per second. It's a very, very huge, a very huge one. So, uh, so we had, uh, of course, uh, their identification was for about 40 or 50 years, we're very, very skeptical, even on Earth. When, um, uh, when they were proposed uh, for Earth, I mean, geologists did not accept the idea right away. And the idea that there's huge, huge floods going through Earth 
was not received very well. And, um, but it took about, you know, 20 or 30 years. Um, uh, it, of course, the original person who proposed them was um, um, Retz from the University of Chicago uh, for the, what is referred to right now as mega floods or Missoula Lake floods. But eventually in 60s, or he, he proposed his ideas in 1920s or 1930s. But they were finally accepted in, um, let's say, 50s or 60s. And so that is the idea of mega floods. And for Mars also, there has been, ever since we made the first flyby on Mars, no landers, no, you know, no rovers, um, no orbiters, they were seeing these huge channels on Mars. And these channels really look like um, river channels. Of course, with no lander on Mars, um, there were other ideas as well that these are, may not be river channels, they may be, let's say, lava channels. Mm -hmm. Or they may be dug, let's say, by other means, like frozen carbon dioxide. And, um, but the idea that, you know, they, there are megafloods because these channels on Mars are pretty large, pretty deep and pretty wide. And what we discovered in Gale Crater were the first evidence of the deposit left behind by these channels. So when, uh, you know, when water moves, um, it, uh, what it does, it, it transports sediments. In other words, just like what you have seen in the creeks in your backyard, it begins to roll sand and the stronger the water, the bigger the sediments they can roll. And the, the deeper the water, the taller the structures it can make. I mean, all of us have gone to the beach or have gone to our neighborhood. A park we see as the water moves, there are these ripples that form. Everybody has seen ripples. And ripples are, you know, just like waves uh, that, that occur when, uh, when sands are rolling as a result of water movement. Now, the stronger the water, the deeper the water, the larger these ripples. And yeah, that's, that's, that is the way we can figure out how strong the water was, how deep the water was, and, and how large the water flow was. So, you know, in your backyard, neighborhood, creek, you are going to see ripples which are two or three centimeters in height. No more. That's very simple. But when you see ripples which are 10 meters high, then you start to think, well, what kind of water will make a 10 meter high? 10 meters is about 30 feet. Now compare, compare a, let's say, one inch tall ripple in your neighborhood river versus the 30 feet tall, you know, ripples on Mars. And that is the way we, you know, we, we, we determined that, yeah, there must have been water going through there because um, ripples uh, require a flow. Of course, flow does not have to be water. It could be wind or it could be water. But ripples that form by wind are usually made out of very small, fine sand. But ripples that are made by large floods are usually made out of boulders, cobbles, sometimes uh, you know, rocks the size of a two-story building. So that requires an, a strong flood and to roll these. And, and there's sometimes they're rolled kilometers, hundreds of kilometers. 
So we are, you know, we are talking uh, about something that we, we do not see regularly. And that is one reason I mean, it, it was a long time for people to even accept such a floods even existed. But they do, they, they move around and they leave behind sediments. And that's the reason, that is the reason we can say for sure that these floods occur because of what they leave behind. And what they leave behind of the, are these, um, they're, they're, they're called mega ripples, dunes, anti-dunes. They range from anywhere from, let's say a few feet to about 30 feet that we have found in Gale Crater. And these 30 feet tall, uh, basically ripples require, uh, and that are made out of cobbles, that are made out of cobbles which are uh, 30 centimeters, 40 centimeters long. So they are huge, huge cobbles. And that, and that is a sure indicator that and water was flowing there and this water was, was very deep. And there are mathematical relationship between the height of the ripples and the, and the strength of the water. And these are very well defined by experiment as well as natural observations. So when you can measure the height of the ripple versus how wide apart they are, this is another issue. I mean, the ripples that form in, in by, the, uh, by the river in your neighborhood are very close by. They're maybe one inch tall and maybe, maybe a couple of inches apart. The ones in Gale Craters are uh, 30 feet tall and 400 feet apart. So these are, these are huge, huge structures uh, and they indicate that there was for sure water flowing there. Hmm. And, and they, they indicate for sure that this water was at least 80 feet deep, at least right. 80 feet deep. And they indicate that the velocity was somewhere in the order of uh, 10 meters per second. So in other words, 40 miles per hour, that's, that's what the flood was. So. At the so that's the, that's the reason we can say for sure that there were water flow at the bottom of Gale Crater and not around it. And this, uh, this flood was huge. It was at least uh, 80 feet deep and was flowing at, you know, at, at the rate of um, 10 meters, just 30 feet per second. So it, it was a huge flood at the bottom of Gale Crater. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Looking deep into the universe, we see backwards in time. And the oldest light in the universe holds secrets to how everything around us will, one day, end. Meanwhile, stars, planets, and galaxies dance in an intricate ballet, occasionally giving birth to life. We are fledgling species, just beginning to visit other worlds. We are a way for the universe to understand itself. The Cosmic Companion strives to bring the universe down to Earth, and we depend on your help to make it happen. For information on subscriptions and ways to donate to this program, please visit thecosmiccompanion.net. Thank you. And so do we have, certainly we see these little ripples, you know, in many people's uh, neighborhoods, but do we, do we have anything on Earth which compares in size uh, to those ripples? The, the only one that is comparable, comparable to the ones we are finding in Gale Crater are the ones left behind by Missoula Lake Flood. Mm. And there is another one, a comparable flood that occurred in Siberia. And those are referred to as Altai Mountain Floods. Uh, 
they are at comparable size. And I would say the ones on Earth were slightly larger. The, the Missoula Lake flood was slightly larger. But those ripples, surprisingly, that is still preserved in Washington. In Washington. You can still go to Google Earth, go to um, Spokane, Washington, just go to Google Earth and type Spokane, um, you know, Washington State and zoom on Google, they're still there. And those, those wow. ripples left behind by Missoula flood are still left. That, you know, there are, there are a bunch of YouTube channel on them. You can search on the Spokane flood or Missoula Lake flood or, uh, or Altai mountain flood. Those are just because they're not old, they're only 2 million years old right. versus Gale Crater, which is 4 billion years old. And they're still preserved, they're still there. And those are the only ones that are comparable um, to the floods we see in Gale Crater. Of course, floods are, you know, we have not seen floods of that magnitude ever since, ever since the Missoula Lake floods. There are, I mean, and floods are very common on Earth. And they, we have seen similar feature, but maybe a couple of feet tall, not, not 30 feet tall. Right. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. So what can we tell from that about uh, presence and movement of water within Gale Crater? Did it have essentially one input flow and one output flow, or was it moving around more? You know, can we tell anything like that from the ripples? Yes, um, Gale Crater is, is referred, it has an, a lot of, um, a lot of, I mean, a lot of a lot of channel cutting the rim of Gale Crater. But we don't have, a, we call them inflow channel. These are channels that brought water into Gale Crater. But Gale Crater does not seem to have any outflow channel. In other words, mm -hmm. Gale Crater was, as far as we know so far, it was a closed lake. In other words, the water was coming in, but it was not leaving Gale Crater. Because Gale Crater is about you know, five kilometers deep. Right. So you take, although, I mean, we are in earlier stages of um, looking at Gale Crater, we know so far that Gale Crater had a lot of inflow channels that are at least, I, would, you know, I, I can I guess about 50 or 60 channels that cut Gale Crater into Gale Crater, but so far we have not seen any channel that took water out of Gale Crater. And so whatever water came into Gale Crater stayed there. So that's that's what we know about Gale Crater. Uh, and do we know of other areas on Mars that seem like they may have had similar actions and uh, similar geology? My feeling, again, based on Gale Crater is the first crater that we have, uh, let's say, uh, in situ analysis. In other words, it's the first crater we had a rover. No, no, um, it's the second crater. But the first one uh, was basically had lava flow covering the whole thing. Uh, that's the one that one of the, uh, uh, either spirit or opportunity is one of the ones that was there. But uh, there are many, many, uh, of course, craters on Mars that were filled with sediments. So I am certain that uh, we are going to find, I would, my guess is that what Gale Crater went through 
virtually all other craters in Mars went through the same thing. That's that's my that's my feeling. Uh, however, the crater that uh, Perseverance, which is the next rover, is going to land in Jezero, Jezero Crater. It is about two three hundred kilometers um, just um, north of Yale Crater. That seemed to be an open lake basin. In other words, that particular crater, the one that Perseverance is going to land in February, it had an inflow channel and it also had an outflow channel. It is a smaller crater. It is about one-third the size of Yale Crater. But that means that that crater was full of water at one time because water came in and then flowed out of the crater. So we are, I suspect we are going to see a lot more exciting and sedimentology and, and the effect of water on Mars when Perseverance is going to land in, in Jezero Crater sometimes in February. That's them that we are going to see. But my, my feeling is that every crater on Mars at one time was, was full of water. Of course, the craters that formed, let's say, uh, around 4 billion years ago. Because uh, roughly around 3.6 billion years ago, Mars had a major, major transformation. In other words, it, 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 before 3.6 billion years ago, Mars, at least our study shows that it was getting warm episodically. It was not warm continuously. It warmed episodically. But after 3.6 billion years, that even that episodic warming appeared to have stopped. So any crater that existed prior to 3.6 billion years, I suspect that at one time had a lot of water inside it. So a lot of crater to explore in, on Mars. Hi there, this is James Maynard from the Cosmic Companion. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, our podcast is put out through Anchor FM. If you've ever wanted to have to your own podcast, they're a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, Anchor gives you a chance to uh, put get your podcast together with all the tools in one place. And um, you can do it from your phone or a computer. And they're going to help you get distributed out to all the major platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you name it. And so best of all, Anchor's all free. How cool, huh? Anyway, if you want to check it out, go download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Clear skies. That's great. And finally, how could this finding uh, affect our search for ancient or even present-day life on Mars? You know, my idea about life is very simple. I mean, life is not difficult to make. It's not. Just look at Earth. Just look at how many different species of ants we have. How many different species of butterfly we have. How many different species of oaks we have. Life is not difficult to make, despite what everybody else thinks. It is very easy to make life, but you need some requirements. Requirements of your liquid water, warm, and some chemicals. Some of these chemicals are readily available. Carbon is everywhere. This is one of the chemicals. Phosphorus is everywhere. 
one of the one of the compounds which are rare to one, there are some nitrogen compounds. This is where RNA and DNA are made out of. Those the components have to be produced chemically, either by some mechanism, either by chemical or uh, you know astrobiological or astronomical. If those are available, life has no problem forming. Again, this is this is my this is my opinion. And, and the reason I see on earth life is so abundant that it must, because it is so abundant, it means it, sh it does not make too much to make it. If, it if, if, if life was too difficult to make, we wouldn't have, I don't know, 3,000 types of butterflies. I mean, it's just not, it's, it's, that's that simple. So if those conditions existed on Mars, which I think they did, episodically, not continuously, if those conditions existed, the chance of um, life emerging on Mars is very, very high. Or for that matter, anywhere else in the universe. If those conditions, um, the chemicals are readily there, no question, all these chemicals, carbon, oxygen, phosphorus, and nitrogen, they're readily available. And of course, um, the only requirement is liquid water and warm temperature, those are the ones. Then it's just a matter of accident that they get together and, and they combine in some sort of bubble. I mean, some sort of, you know, they need to come together in some sort of bubble. That, again, that is, that is my opinion. That is, it should not have been difficult to make life, life um, uh, on Mars so long as these, these conditions are available. And I think they were available on Mars uh, from anywhere from, let's say, 10 years to a million years, episodically, not continuously. But if, if, those, if those conditions are available, and life certainly should have emerged on Mars. Super. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Isat. It was wonderful to talk with you. Absolutely. Thank you very much for the invitation. And you have a wonderful day. Uh, you too. And that, and that was Dr. Isat Hadari, geologist at Jackson State University. Join us each week on Astronomy News with the Cosmic Companion as we bring space and astronomy news together with groundbreaking scientists directly to listeners and viewers around the globe. We depend on support from viewers just like you. So to help support this program with a one-time donation or a paid subscription starting at just 99 cents a month, please visit thecosmiccompanion.net forward slash support. We also have a brand new retail store with interesting original gifts for anyone who loves space and astronomy. Search for The Cosmic Companion on Society6 or visit thecosmiccompanion.net and click on Shop. Please stay safe, stay healthy, and keep your wonder alive. If you enjoyed this episode of Astronomy News with the Cosmic Companion, please download and share the episode on YouTube, Facebook video, or on any major podcast provider. For more details on space and astronomy news, please visit thecosmiccompanion.com or thecosmiccompanion.net.